All right. So, does anybody need a handout? You can. Okay. These are the same handouts, that, but you know, if you like to follow along, you can. We need to get going for time's sake, which I'm the the, the biggest violator of that. So forgive me, forgive me for I have sinned. Um, let's let's uh, let's pray once again. Thank you, Ron, again for praying, and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we just pray, God, as we get into the Word of God tonight, that you would bless the time in the Word, the time in prayer. Thank you for these that have gathered, taken time out of their life, and prioritized you in prayer tonight. I pray, God, that uh, the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man and a righteous woman, Lord, we know, will avail much. We are priests and kings, and we pray, God, tonight as we get into the Word, that you just prepare our hearts, tune it up, and help us to just be in a, in a proper attitude as we enter your courts with thanksgiving and praise. Lord, we just uh, thank you. Lord, I just uh, was meditating on that that passage precious precious words that that song that old hymn uh, ancient words uh, and how precious they are lord we thank you for your word tonight we pray a blessing to the reading and the hearing of it we ask this in jesus name amen all right so we we were in first uh, timothy chapter four and we are uh, you know we saw godly ministers must beware of seducing spirits doctrines of devils godly ministers must be a good minister of jesus christ and now we're looking at how godly minister must be an example of the believers and so first timothy chapter four and verse uh, six through eleven uh, we saw times like these call for godly ministers to be a good minister of jesus christ and uh, i'm not going to go through all the things that we've covered but we uh, point a was a good minister must have a good recollection as we saw in verse six um, uh, and a good diet and a good and then obtained uh, remind were to obtain uh, remember to remind the brethren what we've attained and all of those were things that were really low-hanging fruit and easy to just pull the outline is right there in the text so let's pick it up in the text and i'm going to read from verse one but we're going to pick it up in verse seven so one through six is what we've already covered then we're going to pick up the text in verse seven so paul now uh, speaks um, and this will maybe ring our bells and help remind us of what we've talked about in previous weeks uh, since it's been a while now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits spirits and doctrines of devils speaking lies and hypocrisy having their conscience seared with a hot iron forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which god hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth for every creature of god is good and nothing to be refused right even deer and venison if it be received with thanksgiving uh, for it is sanctified by the word of god in prayer of course that would include pork uh, if thou be, uh, if if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Now, verse seven. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, uh, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having uh, promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. So I'm going to just pause right there. So point C, right? We're to have good recollection. We're to have a good diet, and we're have, good ministers are to exercise good discernment. So we're to refuse profane and old wives' fables because they are not part of a healthy diet, right? They're not part of a healthy diet. Uh, a fable is simply a myth, right? A, a made-up story. Paul is not speaking about fairy tales uh, here. He's referring to misleading fables uh, that contradict biblical truth, uh, pure doctrine and reflection of Christ in a believer's life. 
right? So these are these are you know things that um, you know it's okay if you read stories to your children. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about things that contradict pure doctrine and refl- and reflection of Christ and believers' life. There are some things in the entertainment industry that you do have to be careful of. You know, I know people think I'm a, probably an old fundy, but uh, there are things that with my kids, right? I, I wasn't, I didn't let them read the. You know, I didn't like I didn't like him getting enamored with the witchcraft stuff that's out there in Harry Potter, and I know everybody thinks that's too much. But I'm like, no, uh, not until you're older, I know, and you understand the basics of, of doctrine of Christ. So there are some fables out there that <laughs> I didn't like. <clears throat> I didn't, and uh, I'm getting more in my preference here. But uh, ultimately, you want to insulate, not isolate. And so I don't want to get legalistic, but you do need to watch. You know some of the things that uh, the intake, right? A preacher needs to do it, and a good father does that too, right? So I, uh, a good example is uh, with my kids. You know they're all into the Marvel series, right? And that's all mythical, and it is literally just old pagan. Uh, it's old pagan stuff, the multiverse and all of that. <laughs> so it's good entertainment. <clears throat> I'm not going to say that they're going to go out and you know <clears throat> try to find Nirvana. And get into reincarnation. However, that's pretty much what the multiverse concept's all about, right? So I let them know: look, there's a universe, and this is a pagan philosophy, and it's promoted very keenly upon the population through the Marvel and the DC. I don't know which. I get confused because I don't get into that stuff. But I do. When the multiverse thing comes up, you know, Doctor Strange or whatever, I'm like, whoa, 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 time out, right? Uh, I need you to know, right? This is not biblical and in its concept it can lead you into pagan religion um, because that's all that stuff is actually doing is preparing people to receive you know angels in the you know before or near the coming tribulation because um, <clears throat> as in the days of Noah so shall it be in the coming son of man so so right we need to make sure we're not caught up in all that good ministers know that we understand it doesn't mean we don't use those things we don't refer to those and people don't necessarily know all the details of that and it's somewhat benign but a good minister well you know they should know better we should put them in remembrance of the things um uh that that um that we need to be that are mentioned above in the previous verses and then when it comes to you know old wives fables and you know those are things we should reject as well so the word profane is not used lightly in scripture so when you see the word profane uh you need to we need to take a note <laughs> and, he, and he says that uh, refuse profane and right conjunction old wives fables so profane is a strong word and it really means to pollute or not hold sacred or desecrate. So especially those things that would pollute the purity of God's word, uh, we should reject those. Uh, and that's why he says foolish jesting, which is not convenient, right? There's, there's, it's okay to have a sense of humor, but there's some humor you don't need to partake in, right? There's, there's boundaries to that. It will pollute our minds and our hearts. Uh, so, however, in Scripture, the first mention of many uh, uh, following. In its first mention, in many following the word, I'm talking about the word profane. It's the most uh, atrocious pagan worship. So profane is often attached to atrocious pagan worship. So let's go back to Leviticus chapter 18. Just put a place mark. I got a place mark. I'm putting it in my Bible. Keep it there. And let's go back to Leviticus 18. Somebody want to read Leviticus 18 and verse 21? This is an example. First mention of the word profane 
the English word profane in your authorized version. And thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. Wow. So, somebody tell me about, you're a pretty educated group. Somebody tell me about Moloch. What are we talking about with Moloch? What kind of worship went on with Moloch? Jeremiah chapter 7, it was child sacrifice. Yeah, I was just going to say, let your children be. I got to say, Ron, I didn't have that reference in mind, so praise God. (laughs) So, Jeremiah chapter 7, child sacrifice. Yes, Moloch uh, was a pagan god, and you can look that up. You know, Moloch is actually very popular in, in contemporary culture today because uh, he is he is it is still worshipped. It's satanic, it's pagan, and um, and it's still a pagan deity. Um, and so, it's profane. In essence, we're still I shouldn't say we is right. The church isn't, but but yeah, whenever we are for our children, that is essentially good. What Aborting our okay, I was I didn't quite hear you. So Jeff is saying that essentially, when we abort our children, that's the same type of sacrifice to a different pagan god. But in essence, it's the same dem- demonic pagan concept. But and it is, and it's become increasingly clear um, in recent days as people justify anything to kill a child in the womb or even now outside of the womb a, a child that's born so unbelievable i mean that's unbelievable that's called murder you know and and uh, that's it's wicked so and it's justifiable in the minds anyway of those that are uh, you know espousing that kind of nonsense so so god says that's profane right what what's profane about it the, not just the act and that's obviously profane but even the thinking that's a profane tale. It's a profane concept. And so he says, you know what? You need to make sure that you're... And so that you need to make sure that you, as a minister, he's telling Timothy, the pastor especially, you need to make sure that you know we're not given over to those things. Uh, and so, uh, so the sacrifice of human children to Molech, the ancient god, is not acceptable and it is profane. So just putting in that context, and if we were to get our strong concordance and just run down all the word profane, you're going to see it attached to a lot of that, that serious, serious, wicked, pagan type of activity over and over again. So now when we read that text and he says, but refuse profane and old wives' fables, um, you know, and, and they exercise themselves rather unto, unto, uh, rather unto godly. And, and, and instead of that, exercise thyself, right, um, uh, rather unto godliness. So the antithesis of godliness are these old profane wives' fables, right? These are, these are superstitions. So you could talk to someone like Randy who ministered in Africa, and a lot of what went on there was superstitious, Right, pagan witchcraft. Same thing in Brazil, right? We'd go down and minister with Harold in Brazil. All kinds of superstitious uh, activity, which would be clumped in here with profane, uh, you know, wives' fables, stories. Uh, and by the way, uh, interestingly enough, too, uh, the, the issue with wives' fables, um, it's you know, there's a lot of uh, in in the in the con- when you look at um, Wicca. Right and the witchcraft, it is always associated with female deity. Right, it's 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 kind of the feminism on steroids. It is a no. It is it is all about the goddess. Right. 
<laughs> and so, <clears throat> in the culture in which Paul would have been writing this uh, to Timothy, and in Ephesus, what did they have in Ephesus? Huh? They had a female deity, the goddess Diana, right? And they had harlotry associated with that, which is very similar to what you get with the Wicca activities that go on. There's a lot of sensuality and perverseness and things I don't want to get into. And so be careful, right? Go the other way, right? And so there's a carrot and a, and a stick on that thing, and, and Paul's like saying, hey, exercise yourself to godliness. Stay away from those wives' fables. Stay away from that. So when you wonder, why is it about wives' fables? What's going on there? Well, if we think a little deeper on some of the pagan religions, it's pretty prominent right here in Cass County. And in our culture even today, um, you know, that's kind of the white magic, right? Oh, well, it's just Wicca. It's not, it's not dangerous. It's not black magic. Yeah, it's the same stuff. It's the same old, same old. So we're wise to all of that. And, um, yeah, Ron? Is it possible that we can connect that also to, like, love, uh, where Solomon loved many strange women and they talk about, um, you know... It, it, uh, you mean like Roman doctrine? Well, no, I'm talking about like when the Bible says Solomon had loved many strange women. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so he had all those women that were worshiping other gods and they. Oh, yeah, they pulled they him, in. him away. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good uh, application. Man, that's, it's like a proverb speaks about with uh, the young man that's uh, drawn away. Yes. So um, if you didn't hear that in the back, Ron's saying that, you know, could we draw a parallel to Solomon, you know, who had many strange wives. Of course, those were pagan wives, and he allowed a man that drew his heart away. That's a really good analogy as well when you consider those things. And when we look at the historical context, like I said, with Ephesus, right? Diana of Ephesus, she was considered the mother of all living, right? Um, and sacrifice to her was was commonplace in Ephesus. So you have that 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 uh, again that that female deity. So it makes perfectly good sense why Paul was concerned about um, Timothy being very vigilant in that area and called him profane. So this was a big deal, right? Of course, they had a showdown over the great goddess Diana there, and, and that was a very sensitive subject. Years ago, Amy and I were praying for biological children, and I received advice uh, from a dear relative who wanted me to go to Ripley's, believe it or not, and touch a pagan statue that supposedly had been effective in bringing forth fertility. I thought, well, that's a great idea. Let's do that. No, of course not. I was like, no, right? No, that's time out. No. <laughs> so, no, we're not doing that. That's, uh, that is not, that's an old wives' fable at best. And uh, if one were to conceive and give credit to a pagan statue, that would be blasphemous. Right? And so we talked about that a little bit this morning, didn't we? Right? Uh, you just kind of, you, you, uh, you make an oath. Uh, that wasn't the word I was using from uh, the book of Joshua, but basically that progression. Um, and, uh, and, and so, uh, you know, something like that happens. Next thing you would be telling everybody, hey, it wasn't the Lord that get conceived. We went and did this down at Ripley's and touched this statue. And guess what? Voila, we have children. I'd rather not have children, right? I'd rather give God the glory, even if we didn't have kids. So um, anyway, so the fruit of the womb, the Bible says, is whose reward? It's the Lord's reward, right? Psalms 127. So again, those are the types of things, you know, we think, oh, that's kind of benign. That's not a big deal. No, that's a big deal. 
This is a big deal to me. When somebody told me that, I was like, no, my, my uh, spiritual discernment alarms went flying off. The last thing I'm going to go do is touch a pagan statue somewhere and, 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 have, and get into some superstitious mindset that that's going to somehow heal, heal my wife's womb and she's going to have a child. I mean, come on, man. It's like a red alert thing, right? That's something that goes on in Africa. That goes on in the jungles of Africa. It goes on in, in the, and that's something that would happen in Brazil among the witchcraft. You know, you pay a priest, a witch doctor. That's the same thing, just different. It's just in America, it's a little more cleaned up. But it's not much different mindset. People are people. And so these sorts of wives' fables can be very dangerous. And I don't know, I mean, there are still people, I mean, I know people personally in my own family that, that still dabble in some of those pagan witchcraft type of things. So you got to be careful with that. So within the past few years, um, I had to talk to a relative also about staying away from tarot reading and fortune telling right they were going right on down that road um and i'm like no 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 that uh, you do not need a medium and you don't need to talk to dead relatives and so um you talk to the lord jesus christ and so there's a lot of these things today in our culture that are becoming more prominent not less so the admonition of paul uh, in a pagan culture to timothy is very effective today because a lot of these same things are increasingly going on in our culture so uh, these uh, these fables, these are simply fables, but they can be dangerous if one gives their heart and mind over to believing them, right? And so you have to be careful with that. I imagine, Sharon, in Guatemala, you probably were exposed to all kinds of similar type of uh, superstition and, and, uh, <coughs> and fables. And so... And it can lead people astray, for sure. And so these sorts of wise fables can be very dangerous, <coughs> and, and, uh, and you need to be careful. Uh, there are, are really, you know, all kinds of crazy little superstitions. You know, the black cat crossing your path, and opening an umbrella in a building, and walking under a ladder, and being scared to enter the 13th floor of a building. You know, those are kind of silly little things. Broken mirror. Broken mirror, right, right. Uh, but Paul warns Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 4 not to give ear to fables, right? So it's not just like, um, you know, refusing profane and old wise fables. Obviously, you reject them. But he's also, uh, <coughs> if we go back to the first chapter, he says, he says don't give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So do. So uh, so don't don't give heed to that. Uh, there were also Jewish folk um, folklore in the uh, Talmudic writings that could be considered folklore and old wives' fables. So it wasn't just something pagans were doing. He's also <coughs> making sure that um, Paul, you know, he had access. He was Jew and Gentile. Uh, Timothy was. He was a hybrid. And uh, and so he's like saying, hey, be careful even among the Hebrew writings not to get caught up in old folk tales and wise fables. There are things that, that people often attribute to Scripture that are simply not found there, right? Like God helps those that help themselves. That's that's not true, right? We're dependent on, upon God. And, uh, and, of course, God's not looking for our effort and our help, although we should labor once we get saved but um i mean uh, that's not a biblical verse god helps those that help themselves that's that's said like it's scripture but it's not in the scripture uh cleanliness is next to godliness is another thing you know well it's good to be clean right uh wash your hands you don't get covid or whatever but but uh, it has nothing to do with your godliness physical cleanness anyway and all things work together for good uh, well, of course, that's partially true to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But no, not everything works out for good, right? Uh, it's only true if you love God. It's conditional. 
upon those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. So you got to be the called. you got to be born again, which he addresses in Romans chapter 1. And <clears throat> that the saints in Rome are the called of Jesus Christ. And, of course, if you love God, you keep his commandments. So he's talking about people that are in God's will. Yes, if you're in God's will... Uh, even the worst thing is going to work out for good because God's going to bless it and, and He will be glorified no matter what. So yeah, that is a promise to Christians if it's in the context of what the Scripture teaches. Okay, so point two. A good minister doesn't waste energy or time on those sort of things, but rather exercises himself unto godliness. Right? Godliness is what uh, Paul is looking for. And we know that when uh, ex- when we exercise ourselves in the faith of God's Word and rest in the truth, there is great gain spiritually. So he says in First Timothy six six, um, you know, but godliness with contentment is great gain, right? So godliness with contentment is great gain. So we need to exercise, uh, engaging our mind and emotion on living out what the Scripture says instead of the advertisements in the media or the plot line of our favorite movie. The story of our lives should be found written in the pages of Scripture. The pages of Scripture should captivate us. And our life should enter into the story, and we should that should drive us, not some other uh, vision, not some other nuance that comes from some other influence, but the words of God themselves. A good diet will produce good fruit. So look over at Titus chapter three. Did I leave that in your ver- in your notes? Titus three. So it's there, so you don't have to look. Uh, this is a faithful saying, and <clears throat> and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. So there is obviously work that's produced after we're saved. Salvation is by grace through faith alone in, in the finished work of Jesus Christ. However, we're saved unto good works. Second or uh, Ephesians two ten says, and Titus says. And we should be careful to maintain good works. So we need to work out our faith, right, with fear and trembling. And a good diet will produce good fruit. So when you work out, you need energy. Right? You can kind of lose weight by just not eating, and that'll work. That's a way to lose weight, and it's important. The diet is important, but exercise is equally important, right? And that's where I fail. I'm all about, you know, I would rather, I'm so lazy, I'd rather not eat than exercise. <laughs> so, because when I, when I exercise, you got to eat right, and you got to have the right diet, right? And so we are, as Christians, we're to exercise, we're to do some stuff. It's not just about sitting and learning and not doing the bad things. It's also about doing the good things, right? As much about doing the good things as it is about not doing the bad things, right? We're, we're, we're Christians, for goodness sake. All things are ours. That means there's a lot for us to do. There's a lot. God gives us a bunch of stuff, and so we need to get after it. And so point three, godliness is profitable, profitable because they, they bring good reward. So following fables will not bring a good reward. In chapter 4 and verse 8, right, he says, But bodily exercise profiteth little. There is some profit. So he's not saying to forsake bodily exercise. We're not ascetics. Uh, we're not like, oh, our flesh, you know, we don't need to do anything with it or whatever. We need to beat it. No, we, you can exercise your flesh. There's, there's, there's some benefits to it. Godliness is, but, you know, conversely, godliness is profitable un, unto all things. It'll even help your workout routine. Having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. It it benefits you in time and eternity, is what he says in verse 8. Godliness is better than bodily bodily exercise. (coughs) There are some fitness nuts out there, and there's nothing wrong with being fit, but fitness won't get you to heaven either. 
right? You gain the whole world, lose your own soul. You know, keep a six pack and die and go to hell. It doesn't matter. I mean, having a six pack is not as important. I don't. I'm talking about a six pack abs, by the way, not anything else. <laughs> uh, have a, you know, being fit and trim is good, uh, but 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 right. If you're not saved, what difference does it make? I had a friend of mine, he's a Mormon, Steve, uh, Steve, I forget his last name, Steve Bond. So uh, he took me to my first Chinese food and over off a, of Armor Road and because uh, I'd never eaten Chinese. So I was 21 years old and uh, and he suggested I eat Mugu Gai Pan and all that. So I did and I liked it and then I started eating other dishes and I love Chinese food now. But anyway, that's, a, that's off track. The point of that story is at this same restaurant, I think at the very same table I was sitting at, they had a friend several years earlier when they all worked for this company called napkin which is superfluous to the story but all these guys had this friend and he was a he was an incredible athlete and uh he ran constantly he ran 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 like a marathon runner ran every day running was his mo he's fit and trim everybody just thought this guy's in great shape he's always running you know he probably had the little band on his arm so he could check his paces i don't know so anyway so this guy's always fit and trim he's running and they're at that restaurant where they took me kind of makes you worry and uh at that table and he and another friend of mine, Herb Newton, and all the guys were there. And guess what? You know what happened? He went. He was gone. <laughs> and I'm not sure he walked with God. You know, I hope he was saved, but I don't know. But what difference would it make, right? If you could run every day of your life and stay fit and trim, and then you die and go to hell. You know, what a sad situation. Right there at the at the uh, Chinese restaurant on Armour Road. You know, so. I never forgot that story. I thought, wow, you know, that nobody would have ever suspected this guy had a heart condition. And, um, and man, he kicked over dead just like that. And so uh, that was, a, that was, a, that was a, I always thought that was fascinating. You know, uh, when I think about bodily exercise, prof a little, I often think back on that story on how that guy exercised all the time. Obviously, probably concerned about his lifespan and keeping a good life and all of that. And then when God said his time was up, it was up. We do not know what tomorrow shall bring. We just don't know. So, Godliness is profitable because because they bring a good reward. So it is good to have physical fitness, but godliness is better. So godliness will profit in all things in this life, in your in your conscience, right? Some things that will profit us, right? First of all, is conscience, right? Just having your conscience clean. Paul said, you know, he's under the scrutiny of of. Uh, of the the Jews and the Roman authorities, and he's like, you know what? I exercise myself always. To, I don't have the verse here. I exercise myself always to have a conscience void of offense before God and men. I might be butchering that a little bit. He says that in the book of Acts, right? But he is he is like my conscience is clean, and isn't it nice to have a clean conscience, right? So godliness helps you with that. That's that's a huge benefit just to have a clean conscience. Uh, your it'll help your marriage. I mean, godliness helps your marriage. I literally on the way I was on the way back up here this afternoon. I was listening to a testimony of a of a very famous comedian, and uh, his wife got saved. He, and he he threw one of those hail mary prayers up, and he's like, God, you know, my life is horrible. My wife is horrible. You know, um, I love you, but I don't want to go to church. I don't want to obey you, uh, but. You know, if you can help out here, Lord, this isn't there. You know, this situation stinks. So, um, um, cool story. This guy's wife gets saved, uh, runs into some waitress, takes her to her house. They pray. She receives Christ, starts doing Bible study, and she's completely transformed. I mean, like, what happened to my wife who took her? Don't bring her back. I like this one. <laughs> and he, he grudgingly has to say, well, God, this isn't what I thought, but... You know what? You changed my wife. 
she's a different woman. Uh, you know what, Jesus, godliness helps your marriage. Uh, what really touched me about the story, some you know, sometime into this conversion process, uh, he was saying his buddy, he's in the comedy business, he actually is a big name comic, and his buddy, some of his buddies thought, this is, she's in a cult, man, this is getting a little crazy. And uh, the, the com- comedian, uh, uh, the husband knows better, but you know, he's around these people and she's super zealous. And so one day she, uh, in the midst of all the zeal, uh, for Jesus in Bible studies, she comes home and just all of a sudden the old wife shows up, and uh, she is cussing him up one side and down the other. Kids are hiding in the bedrooms, and it's just all coming down on him. And and she provoked him, so he was ready to get divorced. Uh, he's like, "That's it. I got this. This Jesus thing didn't work, and uh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna. Okay, so I'm gonna get an apartment. I'm gonna keep the kids in my life." And he's actually planning all this as she's going on and on about what a terrible person he is. And um, she runs out. He says she leaves the, the, the room, slams the door. I'm telling his testimony, but this was impactful. And uh, he's like, okay. And you know what, though? Fortunately, he was wise enough uh, not to answer, right? A fool in her folly. And to a soft answer turns away wrath. Grievous words stir up anger. And so he just, it wasn't just him. It was the Holy Ghost. Kept his mouth shut. And a few minutes later, she comes back in the room. She says, hey, I just need you to know that even though I'm a new creature in Christ, I'm not, I'm not always going to walk in the Spirit and forgive me. You've been the best husband a woman could ever have. Da, 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 da. And every now and then, this is going to happen. I'm not really mad at you. I'm mad at something else. I've got to work it out with the Lord. And he was just like, you know, just in awe of Jesus. He said, I bowed my head and said, thank you, Jesus, because there's no one else I could thank. Right, so I share that testimony because it moved me. Just hearing that testimony, this was on national radio. I just heard this, and so I was like, "Wow, praise God!" I'm glad that's on the airwaves today. And I'm also thinking, you know what? That's right, godliness. Right, it, it does work. Uh, and so it's not always as pretty as we might like, but it helps your marriage. Right, it helps your conscience. It helps your marriage. These aren't in your notes. These are in my notes. It helps your parenting. Right, it helps you deal with things. Um, man, you know, it helps parenting. Uh, no parent has all the answers, and sometimes our answers are even wrong. But you know what? God is good, and He gives us grace. In stories, just like I'm telling you with uh, that, that married couple, it helps your parenting. Why? Because once you understand who God is, you can reflect that on your family and the grace, the mercy. It's just like these stories in the Old Testament. I had a friend that was like, I don't read the Old Testament. Well, you should. Because if you read the Old Testament, you know, if you got this concept of the God of the Old Testament, you know, he's a hateful God. He's not a God of love. Well, I don't think you've read the Old Testament very closely. He's got more grace. And you, you can see grace in the Old Testament, right? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I just told the story this morning, right? Uh, Israel, God was trying to help Israel. I mean, they, been, they did everything but stick their, their, their thumb in his eye, right? And he's still like in First uh, Samuel chapter 12, but, okay, and if... And if you will do this, I will still bless you because I'm, well, I want you to succeed, obviously, more than you do. <laughs> so you've got to root for your kids, right? That doesn't mean you got to get away with everything uh, under the sun. But, however, yeah, you, you, you should be be down for your kid's success. And, right, we know, where's that found? Joshua one eight. This book, the law, shall not depart of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate there in day and night. <laughs> that thou may observe to do all the things that are written therein, then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. The only place found in the Bible, Joshua one eight, And so, it helps your parenting. And godliness helps parenting. Uh, it helps your studies. 
Man, it helps you be a better student. When I got saved, my, my academic life, I mean, it was I wasn't a bad student, by the way. I was an average student. Man, once I got saved, my actual academic apparatus just went poof through the roof all of a sudden you know i don't understand i still don't understand it my ability to uh, uh, to discern things and, and information uh, at, at sometimes a miraculous pace of course i attribute some of them to my age i was young and like a sponge but man i mean i remember going to my job talking about the next thing your employment and uh, I'm, 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 what am I, 17 years old, and I'm at Parkerson and Biscop, and I, I got the job, I don't think because I was the smartest, I think I just looked the part more than my buddies, and so I wore the right clothes and did the right, you know, I, I knew enough to do that, <laughs> so I didn't really know what I was doing, but I got to the job, and they set me down, they're like, okay, you're a plot guy, you're going to be in here every night by yourself, this engineering firm turns all this stuff over to me, I'm, I'm still in high school. And uh, you got to run all these prints, right? Our jobs are dependent on it. And here's DOS, disk operating system. Here's the computer. Here's the Mac. Here's the plotter. Here's AutoCAD. Have at it. We'll see you later. Lock the door. Have a good night. And I remember sitting there going, uh, DOS, uh, or, uh, uh, um, uh, Ron remembers DOS. How many remember DOS? Okay, a few of us remember DOS. <laughs> and so, you know, all those, uh, I'm sitting there going, DOS. The only thing I've done with DOS is I think I hit start. You know, I don't know. I typed in start, enter. I don't know. So I didn't know how to do batch routines. I didn't know how to do... And that was my job. I was supposed to batch file all this stuff. And and I'm like, oh my goodness, Lord, help. Literally. Like, I'm I'm sitting there at my job, like, going, Lord, help, help. And you know what he did? He helped me. And within the first night, somehow, I was able to process, chunk it through, and... uh, and the reason I didn't wasn't successful in that job ultimately had nothing to do with the wisdom that God gave me in regard to how to do my job. And so it was other spiritual growth things that I needed to learn in, which was how not to be a blue-collar kid in a white-collar world. <laughs> so that's another story. So my temper, my temper wasn't probably... I had to learn to not say what I was thinking, even if it was justified. So anyway, I learned... We don't settle things out back by the pickup truck. Anyway, so, um, or you'll get fired. So, excuse me. Um, so godliness will help you. It'll help you with your conscience, your marriage, your parenting, your studies, your employment, uh, your athletic endeavors. If you're into exercise and athleticism, it'll help you there. And most importantly, it'll help you with the, the ministry. That is actually where I'm going with all that. It's going to help you with the ministry. It's going to help you spiritually, most importantly, but it's going to help you with everything in your life. Your evangelism, uh, all the things that you do in Bible study, in the application of the study, the testimony among the saints, and the testimony among the lost. So godliness also profits us in the life to come. So that's just this life, he says, in verse 8, and... We haven't even gotten to the life to come. Now, I don't have a lot of practical examples yet because I haven't gotten to the life to come. But if it can help us with all these things in this life, man, what's it going to do when we get to the life to come? And so that, that, is, that is amazing. 2 Corinthians 5.10 does say, and it's in your notes, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to the fle- according to what he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So don't you think that maybe godliness might help us at that day, at the judgment seat of Christ? I would say so. Romans 14.10, which is in your notes. But 
But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we will we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess to God. Now, so, obviously, godliness should affect those around us in a positive way. And if it's not, if our godliness isn't affecting others in a positive way, then we probably need to back up a little bit and figure out if we're being godly, right? If it's uh, all sour grapes around us all the time. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's going to be pleased with you. That's what's kind of hard as a Christian sometimes to discern. Was that me, you know, or was that Memorex? Was that, what was that? I mean, how come it isn't smooth? Okay, it's not that everything is smooth sailing, but we should be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke. And that doesn't mean that people won't accuse us. It just means we should be, you know, spick and span. We should be like Teflon. It should roll off because it doesn't stick because we have a testimony like Christ. Now, Christ was accused of all kinds of things, right? Right? What well, he was, let's list some of the things. What was he? He was a blasphemer. Now, he wasn't, but that's what they said because he said that he was, he knew God. They're like, you're not as old as Abraham. You can't call him father. He's like, oh, yeah, I and the father are one. Oh, my gosh. Stone him. Right? So. Huh? He was born of fornication. Oh, born of fornication, right? He's been. A, you're born of fornication. What's that? Sabbath breaker. Yeah, he's a Sabbath breaker. He's a friend of publicans and sinners. I mean, you can just go down the list. I mean, there's all kinds of muck thrown at Jesus. Uh, and it didn't stick. Because ultimately, the judge is God the Father. God the Father says, thumbs up, son. Good job. <laughs> That's all that matters. That's ultimately all that matters. So we do have to keep that balance. And I say that because as we go forward in time right now where we live, I uh, just had this conversation, you know, with all the drama. Uh, what I was talking about this morning, my mom was actually very exercised and encouraged in it. And, uh, you know, she's pretty politically motivated. She has a lot of she has a lot of time on her hands, so she listens to a lot of media and I was like, yeah, Mom, at the end of the day, it really isn't about supporting all this evil out here. It's actually just about positioning, people position themselves in a way so that they can call us haters if we don't agree. That's ultimately all it is about, is defaming the people who follow Christ. And so we got to be wise to that. Even though we live a godly lifestyle, people will still accuse us of all kinds of things, increasingly more as we see the day approaching. So, so own it. Embrace it. Love God, love people, even if people say you hate God and hate people. <laughs> right? So they're going to tell you you hate people. The more you love God, the more you love people. Just just love it. Earn it. Own it. Don't get mad. Don't get even. Just get Jesus and get going. And that's all you can do because uh, Jesus won. It's already over, man. You can, you can th- you can, it's over. Jesus has already won. You can hate all you want. It's over. Jesus is one, and uh, it's just a matter of time before that all plays out. That's why we're ambassadors. We're kind of like, we're just bringing the terms of peace. You know, hey, if you don't want to take my terms of peace today, I'll catch you in seven years. <laughs> we'll be back. <laughs> so, and, and you won't like that deal. That deal's not going to be good for you. So I'm just telling you, I love you, and I'm giving you opportunity to repent because today is the day of salvation. God loves you, right? And so Christians today, especially, much like Ephesus, Ephesus was hostile toward Christians, but yet Ephesus became a, a, a place where seven churches were planted out of Ephesus. So you don't have to have a tranquil environment for God to grow the church. As a matter of fact, some of that tension gives us traction. And it, and it kind of stiffens our backbone a little bit. It's like doing bench press, right? you got resistance. You're going to get stronger as you exercise those muscles. And it makes us a little bit more adept at the mission. All right, so so uh, godliness today will profit us in the day we give account to the things done in the body. So here's what we all want to hear the Lord say. 
And it's the last verse. I'll stop here. And we want to hear this. We want to hear um, God say, um, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? Of course, we're sons of God, but we want to, we want to know that our service pleased the Lord. And let me get point four and then we'll be done because that way I can pick up on the last one next time. Good ministers will receive godly counsel. Verse 9 and we'll be done. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. What are you going to say about that? Well, I don't know. Let me think about it. No. This is the second time Paul mentions uh, what he's saying is worthy of being accepted. Uh, so it's the second time he's mentioned that. The first time was in verse 15 of chapter 1 where he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. So he repeats himself. And when God repeats himself, it's important. And you say, Well, I thought Paul repeated himself. Well, Paul wrote it, but God's repeating himself. So that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And so Paul was speaking in First uh, Timothy 1, 5 of God's grace uh, to call and enable him through the glorious gospel to be a minister of the gospel. And it's fitting that he states this again as he speaks of the role of a godly minister whose life transforms others through the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. So it's worthy not only for Paul and acceptable for Paul, it's worthy of Timothy and acceptable for Timothy. So he's not saying do as I say and not as I do. He's saying, hey, look, this is how I roll. And Timothy, this is how I need you to roll. Uh, because uh, you're in it to win it here in Ephesus and so and in in Asia and in the world especially after he departs and so uh, you know history teaches us that Timothy was uh, dragged through the streets and martyred in Ephesus but I, also history teaches us that he was faithful to the man he was a good witness for the Lord Jesus Christ so just like his mentor uh, he stood strong and uh, he preached the gospel and we're here today Right? The gospel made it to us. So here we are to go forward. All right. So good recollection and a good diet um, and then good discernment. Those are the three things that a good minister needs. Next week when we get together, uh, Jeff will be here. And so he will not be talking about good ministers have good actions. But I will when I get back on Sunday night. Next Sunday night, I will be in church in Boston. Right, And so be praying for us as we're going to Boston. We leave Wednesday morning. Uh, and then especially pray next Sunday night because <clears throat> we got to get a ride to the airport. Uh, and I am not still settled on how we're getting that ride before the transit starts. So whether it's Uber or I get a ride from... Uh, my brother Mike, he said, oh, I can get you there. But I'm like, really, can you? There's five of us. With you, that's six. Can you fit us in our luggage in your vehicle? So I'm still not sold that's going to happen. Huh? What do you mean the <clears throat> We're in a bed and breakfast. Uh, and up in Boston, you can't just rent a car. Well, you can, but... There's no place to park it, so we got to use the public transit to get to where we're going, which is no problem because when we arrive. But we booked our flights out early, so we get a direct flight here to KC, which is great. Uh, Monday morning, we should arrive at 9 a.m. if I can get a get a ride to the airport before the transit. No, we're there Monday through uh, so Wednesday through Monday. Yeah, and Monday's our flight home, so it is a short trip, which is perfect for me. And be praying about that. Maybe next year y'all can go. We could use more people. And you could drive out there if you want to drive two days for a four-day trip. You'd be driving as much as being there. And flights are really pretty cheap. It's not flying. It's staying there in a wherever you stay. There's nothing cheap in Boston, so we bed and breakfast it and all that. So it's cool. Anyway, it's going to be a good trip. I was just watching the service tonight before a pastor meeting, and uh, they're doing good. They're growing a little bit, and uh, it's just cool to see. So we'll be out there. They're going to have some more folks joining, not just Heartland, but there'll be folks from Alabama coming. Of course, Iowa and us are going together. There's going to be folks from um, Midtown there. They're going to be doing some choir singing and stuff like that. It'll be cool. So we'll be doing a lot of evangelism, which is the main thing. Yes, sir. That's 
the pastor of that church is Renault, which is the pastor, Dan Renault's brother. Yes. Who's the pastor at what church in the summit? Living Faith Lee Summit. Living Faith, okay. Uh-huh. His brother that went out there? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, Mike Renault is, uh, yeah, he's an old friend of mine going back to the circuit back in when I was at KCBT. He's a good man. He's an attorney here, still licensed here, but he's not going get, to get his license out there. He's just going to pastor there because he can't do both, he said. He's like, it's just too much work. I'd have to spend all my time you know, doing this here to get everything running, and it's it would be counterproductive. So he still practices here. He flies out quite a bit and does his thing, but, uh, but he's actually, uh, you know, someday we'll probably just focus on that. It will be primarily evangelism. Some there won't be any work to do per se, other than uh, maybe have a dinner with some international students or something, which isn't work. Uh, we will do this, hit the streets pretty hard, and if we're not doing that with Mike, we'll do it by ourselves, and we'll invite people uh, to church. But he'll have some some literature that we'll hand out, and he and uh, we have. I'm bringing some of our own literature uh, in case we can get loose on the campuses uh, or anywhere to do it's called the New England I call it the New England value survey which is just a, a form that we rate people and it leads them to a, the conclusion of what's important uh, most important your job your family religion etc etc it's like five or six questions and you rate them they rate it we just ask them the questions and then that opens the door for the gospel it worked like a charm uh, among some, in certain parts of Boston other parts you don't even have time for that so you just got to hand them something because they're too busy moving and grooving. They don't want to take time to talk. So, so we got to find fishing holes. But I found one last time, so we'll go back and visit that one if we can. And I noticed uh, I was looking at one of their updates from the last trip, and they have they have uh, they were working that same campus, which is Northwestern. They had a, sh- a bomb last week. They had a bomb thing there, a bomb scare. Some guy blew something up and said that he was, you know. It ended up being a ruse. He was just trying to get attention, so it wasn't a real bomb. It was him blowing something up, and he wasn't even injured properly from the explosion, so he was just an attention seeker. But that's that campus there that just made the news, uh, Northwestern there in Boston. It, that, that was good fishing. Um, there were other, other places, you know, Boston College, not so good. Boston University, not so good. Um you know, Harvard probably was better than the rest than some of those other places, and so you know, working the campuses there is kind of tough. Uh, so he does Friends of International, so he targets international students and tries to bring them. And on and I think it's October eighteenth, he's going to have a, a meeting at his house or at the church for international students, which seems to be going pretty good for him. Anyway, that's kind of so. We'll be just continue to work and build on that, and try to get relationships, and trust God for divine appointments. Last time we went, we saw nine people come to church because of our efforts. So that was incredible. Yeah, we were like, "Wow, praise God!" And so, a couple the, the uh, those in the that are getting their masters and doctorate degrees there are oftentimes disillusioned with education. So interestingly enough, they're more open, which surprised me. I had no idea they're they're more open to the gospel then I would have never guessed that. So um, they're like, yeah, this isn't it. They, they've, they've gone down the road far enough to realize this this isn't it. So they've given their life for, for education, and they're like, that's all there is? You know, there's got to be more. And so he's had some good success there, more in the graduate studies than he is. Your freshmen, they're not as 
you know, the young people down there, they're not they're they're not focused on the Lord for the most part. So yeah, so when you actually the older the people get in their thirties, graduate students and stuff, the more open they seem to be to the gospel. Because they're in their thirties and they're still trying to struggle and to get this paper and all this stuff and they're they're kinda of tired of it. And they see through it by that time. So they're just on a treadmill. <laughs> and so anyway, um thank you for asking. Uh we have we Oh, thank you. I forgot, didn't I? I was going to tell you, but I was waiting for you to stop. You were waiting, waiting for me to stop talking? Was that ever going to happen? To pause long enough to actually say, oh, okay. Is there a total of the offering that was given on Wednesday yet? There will be a total tomorrow.